of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Let's stop and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. Use it in our hearts and minds tonight. Lord, there's nothing about us in our natural condition that's supernatural, but your word, Lord, is. It's powerful. It's mighty. And Lord, now that we've been born again and we have the spirit of God within us and the new man's been awakened, then a miraculous work can be done in us as we respond to the word of God tonight. So I pray that the word of God would have free course and that your spirit would have liberty to minister to our hearts that which is most needful. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Of course, Solomon penned the book of Proverbs, and uh, Solomon writes the book really with his son in mind. He wants to give wisdom that his son can live by. It's a tragic thing that his son Rehoboam didn't, it appears, take to heart very much in the book Proverbs. You know, we can have everything we need, but if we won't heed it, then it won't help us. I'm going to say that again tonight. We can have everything we need, but if we won't heed it, then it won't help us. Do you know you have everything you need to live the life that God intends for you? He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And what a tragic warning is the life of Rehoboam that equipped with almost like a personal journal in his life, these uh, musings and this wisdom from his father Solomon, he did not take more of it to heart. But over and over throughout the book of Proverbs, you have this phrase, my son, my son, my son. And Solomon had certain vital imperative pieces of information that he wanted his son to live by. He talked about knowledge. He talked about wisdom. He talked about the fear of the Lord. He talked about holiness. And uh, not the least of these things is the, the topic that I want to speak about tonight. And it really is leaned into in verse number five of our text. Let's read verses five through eight again. Here's what Solomon wanted his son to understand. If he could have had him bouncing on his knee or maybe even as a grown man, them sitting in chairs side by side, he would have looked over at him and he said, Rehoboam, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes, Rehoboam. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And if you do this, son, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. In other words, he wanted, chief among these things, for his son to learn to lean on God. I don't know about you, but I need to lean on the Lord. I need him, man. I, you know, some, some smart aleck years ago thought they'd be cute and saying that, uh, Bible believing people that Christianity was just a crutch to them. And, uh, the reply immediately came from a hundred preachers around the whole world. He ain't a crutch. He's the whole stretcher. Amen. <laughs> He's not just something that I'm occasionally leaning on when I feel weak, but if, if really the Lord is in the place that he ought to be in our life, then we will daily lean unto him. And Solomon wants his son to learn the importance of leaning on the Lord. Can I tell you, 
there's not very many folks that really lean on him day by day. Now, there's a lot of Christians that lean on him when they're weary. And there's a lot of Christians that lean on him when things go sideways or when they're at a loss. But Solomon, you'll notice, wants Rehoboam to lean unto him and in all thy ways acknowledge him. In other words, no half measures, son. You need to every day be leaning on the Lord. I don't know about you, but I know in my life I can have a pretty good record of leaning on the Lord. But on those days I lean unto my own understanding. Boy, doesn't it all break loose. And the truth of the matter is it is not okay or it is not sufficient, we might say, to occasionally lean on it. We've got to learn to always lean on it. And that's the point that Solomon is trying to drive home. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, learning to lean on him. And I want you to notice just four simple thoughts in our text, and then we'll be done. Look with me first at verse number five. Solomon says this, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now, he's getting ready to unpack this in a deeper sense. But he begins, his opening shot over the bow is simply to state what the principles are of leaning on the Lord. I'll tell you this, not only are there few that do it, but there's even few that know what it means to lean upon. And so Solomon says, before I even get into how you do this and and what you'll need to do this and what this will provide in your life, I just want to establish what it means to lean on the Lord. And there's two things that he mentions. Number one, he mentions this, committing our heart to the Lord in reliance. Notice how he says it in verse 5, trust in the Lord. Now, we know what it is to trust. It is to place ourselves in the care or in the custodianship of another individual to commit to them something that is of great value, something that is precious to us. And the matter at hand, really, as Solomon speaking about the wholeness of life, is every aspect. But look how he encompasses it in the end of this phrase. Trust in the Lord. And how are we to do that? With all thine heart. The heart and the word of God, of course, is the seat of human emotions. It describes a man's passions. It describes a man's state of mind. It describes a man's contemplation. And here's what he says. If you're going to lean on the Lord, the first thing you're going to have to do is make up your mind that peace of heart only comes from trusting in the Lord. No half measures. We're good at half measures. Somebody give me an amen right there. If there's a halfway way to do it, we'll find a way to halfway do it, won't we, Brother Ken? If there's a way that we can be partially committed to the Lord, and I would say that the uh, great uh, tragedy and crime of much modern-day Christianity is not Christians that have no regard for God, but Christians that have just little regard for God. And Solomon says you've got to understand that it'll it'll be of no great benefit to you to in half measures only occasionally commit yourself to the Lord. You've got to learn to trust Him with your heart day in and day out. In other words, we could use this language to cast yourselves upon the Lord emotionally. I think sometimes we don't like to let our masks slip. We don't like to show vulnerability. But you know, the truth of the matter is, you might as well go ahead and be honest with God because He knows every fiber of your being anyway. If you can't trust God with your tears, who can you trust with? If you can't trust God with your broken heart, who can you trust with? If you can't come to Him and lean upon Him in entirety and find your rest and find your peace and find your joy in Him, then where are you going to find them things? 
I'll just tell you that as God's people, one of the great strengths in our life, one of the great uh, resiliencies in our life is the ability to come to God and pour our heart out unto Him. Over and over again, the psalmist comes and he pours out his heart. I even like one place the psalmist says he'll pour out his complaint. I like that. God's just honest with us. He knows a lot of times we say we want to pray. Really, we just want to complain. God says, bring it on anyway. That's okay. Come on and pour out your complaint unto me. In other words, it means to go ahead and resolve in our heart that we have no plan B. No escape hatch, uh, no, uh, you know, feasible means of retreat that we are resolving to commit ourselves unto God entirely, that we trust him, that we've torn all the fences down in our heart and in our life. And we've given him full jurisdiction to work and to deal with us according to his own will. Trust, Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. He's a trustworthy God. Pour your heart out unto him. Commit yourself unto him. And watch him be faithful. The first is committing our heart in reliance. But then he mentions a second principle. He's defining what it means to lean on the Lord. There's an inward reliance upon the Lord with our heart. Let me just, it just, it ought to be said, so I'm going to drop it here and then we'll move on. But of course, for the lost person, that begins when they commit their heart to Christ in salvation. But even beyond that, listen, you didn't get saved, get up from the altar and then never have to need him again. You need him every day. So commit your heart unto him in reliance. Pour your heart out unto him. But then there's a second thing. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now, the implication here is not that we can stand upright in the first place. Most of the time when a man is leaning, it's because he has to lean somewhere. Can I just make a statement? I hope you understand the importance of it. We all got to lean somewhere. So if we're not leaning on God, then we're leaning on something other than God. He says, lean not unto thine own, and use this word here, understanding. We could say it this way, committing our heart in reliance to the Lord. But number two, committing our head in reason to the Lord. The first deals with our emotions, but the second deals with our intellect. The first part of it deals with us psychologically, but the second part of it deals with us academically. And what he's saying is, don't trust your gut, hear from God. And I see it all the time, man. I can't remember who, me and somebody was talking about this other the other day, our utter hatred of dumb church signs. I, I don't believe... I don't believe in government regulation and bureaucracy, but I'm going to be honest with you. If they if they developed, I'm talking about a red Stalinist committee of secret police to ferret out dumb church signs, I'd vote for it. I just it bothers me. And they're not all that way. Don't misunderstand. But some of them are. And how many times have I drove by a church and seen where they say on their sign, trust in your heart, listen to your heart, listen to your gut. I always shake my head and wonder if somebody ought to run by and give them a King James Bible and beg them to read it. Because when you read in your Bible, the truth that you find there is that we, in fact, cannot lean unto our own understanding. When we talk about our gut, what do we mean? I'm I'm listening to my instinct. Well, listen, your instinct is just as depraved and fallen as the rest of you. 
Your instinct, you have no reason to think that your gut is correct, that your instinct is right. You understand that a lost, broken world that is shrouded in darkness is depending on that because it's just as predictable and just as reliable a harbinger of truth as anything else they have in their life. But when you got born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. You've got a Bible, the Word of God to read. You shouldn't have to be casting chicken bones on the ground to find an answer. You've got a God that hears and answers your prayers. And so many people lean under their own understanding. But if we're leaning on the Lord, it's going to mean seeking His mind about things. We're going to talk about it here in in just a moment. But man, there's very few people pray about the biggest decisions they make in life. Often when we pray, it's a matter of formality. Well, let me pray, get that out of the way. I felt like I've asked God about it. But how many times have you prayed about something? If you were to be 100% true and honest... You had your mind made up before you ever asked God about it. It was something you desired so much. It was something that you expected so much that you already had it made up in your mind that this was the course you were taking. didn't really matter what God said about it, but you wanted to be real spiritual and ask God in the first place. What do we have to do? We've got to learn to not lean on ourselves. Now, by the way, you notice what he says here. He does not say lean unto the Lord. He does not say lean unto the word of God. He's dealing with people that are believers. And he understands that the risk here for most people is not that they cease leaning on the Lord to lean on secular psychology, to lean on philosophy. He understands that the most present danger for most people that know God is that they just simply lean on themselves. Do what makes sense to them. Do what seems to be reasonable to them. How many times have you said in your life, well, I'm going to do this. It's a reasonable thing to do. According to whose reason? Can I tell you that something being reasonable is not reason enough to do it? There's all sorts of reasonable things that you can do in life. What you ought to covet is the will of God about things. And so if we're really leaning on the Lord, it's going to mean not just saying, well, I'm going to do what makes sense, what I feel like, what I'm inclined to do, what my instinct or my gut or my heart or however we like to articulate that tells me to do, but instead... I'm going to look to the Lord. So here's the principles of leaning. Number one, committing our heart in reliance, pouring our heart out to him, trusting him with our vulnerability, committing our head to him in reason. Lean not unto thine own understanding. But then verse six, he deals with the process of leaning. So what then does this look like in a person's life? Notice what he says in verse six. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I love this first phrase, acknowledge him. The word acknowledge, it means to know something. Oftentimes when we think of the word acknowledge, we think of it in the sense of a, of a hat tip or a, or a recognition. And certainly that is contained within this concept. But it means in its purest sense to know him. And I would just ask you this, in the decisions you're making in life, do you know him? Do you know him? So what do you mean, preacher? Well, you say, well, preacher, we're, we're you know, we're praying about uh, buying a new car. Do you know God about that car? So what do you mean, preacher? Do you know his will? Do you know what he wants out? Preacher, we're, you know, we're praying about a move. We're praying about a house. We're uh, praying about a new job. We're pr- whatever it is. Have you acknowledged him? Can you say you know him yet? Here's what I think we have mistakenly done with this verse. In acknowledging him, what we think that we're doing is simply saying, Lord, I want your will done. That's not what Solomon's speaking about. It's not just saying, Lord, I want your will. He's saying, 
You ought to make sure you don't move till you know His will. Know Him. In other words, deferring to His will. How many decisions have you made that have blown up in your face and as you took inventory, as you did a, a post-mortem of the situation, you had to be honest in saying that you made that decision before you ever really asked the Lord about it, before you ever really knew what His mind was. Oftentimes we'll do this because we're impatient. We'll say, now, Lord, I want to know your will. Please show me your will about it. And then as soon as we say amen, we've already made our mind up about whatever the decision is. Now, here's what we're doing. We're saying, now, God, I'm getting ready to do this last chance to wring my neck about it. Now, God can, but, you know, very often he just lets us make our mistakes. Wouldn't it be far better if we said, you know, I'm never in so big a hurry that I have to leave without God. There's nothing in my life that has to be done so pressingly that it can't wait on God. doesn't matter what it is you're facing. You say, well, preacher, I might lose an opportunity. Then lose it. Then lose it. You say, but preacher, I might miss th this opportunity. Then let it go. Wouldn't you rather have God than have that? Man, far too often we get caught into this thing of scheming, don't we? Of trying to get every duck in a row and get everything lined up. And sometimes we feel like the stakes are so high, we've invested so much that we're scared to really know the will and heart and mind of God because we're afraid he's going to change the plans that we thought were settled. In other words, it refers to deferring to his will, discovering his will. Here's how you lean on him. The first thing you do is you seek his will and you don't rush God. You simply wait for him to show his will to you. So, but preacher, while I'm waiting, this opportunity may pass me by. Well, there's your answer. Wouldn't it be better? There, there's nowhere you need to go so bad that you need to go without God. Nothing you need done so bad that's worth doing without God. God has a will. God has a heart. God has a design behind things. So wait on Him to reveal His will. You know, very often it's in that delay through which God spares us of much heartache. Sometimes there's things that... God has the ability to articulate it, but we're just too dumb to discern it. And sometimes the way God deals is by delaying in things. Not because he's saying no, because he may not be saying no. Sometimes he's saying, give me the space to weave this beautiful tapestry of my faithfulness and my working and my wisdom and providence in this situation. But, you know, here's here's just the brass tacks truth about it. You don't have to know why. You just have to know what. You don't always have to know why. You just have to know what God expects out of you. But the first is deferring to his will. And then what will that produce? It says, if you'll do this, he shall direct by paths. That's a promise of God. That's just as inspired as John 3.16. If you say, now, Lord, I want your will, and I'm seeking your will, and I'm praying for you, and I'm willing to wait for you to guide me and to direct me, he said, I'll direct you. I promise that I will. He shall direct thy paths. Now, there's a few things that it says, but there are some also things, some things that it does not say. Notice it does not say, in all thy ways acknowledge in him, and, and he shall disclose to you the sum of the matter. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and, and, uh, you know, he shall make the path easy for you, and, and without burden and without difficulty. It does not say that. Does not say, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall make you a superhero that can leap tall buildings in a single bound. There's a lot of things that the charismatic TV preachers try to put in your Bible that ain't in there. But here's what he says he will do. He says, I'll direct your paths. 
I love that. You know what it tells me? He does not say, I'll give you the map. He says, I'll direct your paths. You ain't always going to know what the second and third and fourth step are. But you'll know what the next step is. There's no promise that this path won't have rocks in it and holes in it. No promise it won't have hills and deep valleys. But he says, I'll direct your paths. How could he do that? Well, he does that through his presence. You remember what uh, the, the psalmist said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and they, thy staff, they come from me. You understand the rod and the staff were both used in the guidance and the direction of the sheep. In other words, here's what David had learned uh, in, in the 23rd Psalm, is that if he would just trust the Lord, then the Lord would direct him every direction that he needed to go. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, I'm saying this, if we will seek him, if we will covet his will, if we will demand to know his will before we move, what will he do? He'll guide us. He'll direct us. He'll be present with us moment by moment. You say, preacher, could God be that present? He is that present. He's there. He desires to lead and guide us. Just a question of whether we will allow him to. So we see the process of leaning. But notice verse 7, we have the prerequisites of leaning. He says in verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In other words, this is the spirit or disposition of a person who is leaning on the Lord. And notice two things here. Number one, notice the humility that is prescribed. Be not wise in thine own eyes. You know, most of the time the reason we carry out our plans is we think they're pretty good plans. Isn't that true? That is for me. I don't execute no bad plans. I've never had a bad plan. You know that? Now, in retrospect, some of them probably wasn't too hot. But in the moment, they were all great plans. Airtight, bulletproof, going to work. No question. It's amazing what pride can do, isn't it? See, this is why uh, humility is the antidote to self-reliance. Because the more that we recognize just how incompetent we are, the more we're willing to lean on him. The more we realize we don't have it together, we don't have it figured out, we don't know what the answer is. Uh, and in fact, we are not wise. See, notice he does not say, be not wise. He says, be not wise in thine own eyes. In other words, you ought to be wise. But part of wisdom is that you'll not esteem yourself as such. By the same token, the fool though he may be the largest fool around, always thinks they are wise in their own eyes. Humility goes hand in hand with wisdom. The recognition that we don't have it figured out and we need God. The reason we rush in is because we get to believe and we've got this thing pretty well sewed up and God can show up late to clap for us if he wants, but we know what we're doing. And we're going to carry out our will and our desire. Notice the humility that is prescribed. Man, we've got to be humble enough to recognize we don't have it all together. Uh, you ever notice how, sl how slow old people move? Have you ever noticed that? They move slow. And they'll say it's because they hurt, but that's not altogether true. That's some of it. I don't, but but I, everywhere they go, they drive a car slow. It don't hurt to drive a reasonable speed. You know Why? They've learned not to trust themselves. I'm being serious now. They've had one too many twisted knees. They've had one too many missteps. They've had one too many falls when they've rushed and they've decided ain't nowhere so important I need to get there dead. And they slow down. 
then there's people, old people drive and go the other way and just want to get to heaven quick as they can. But, but for the most part, older people, they, they, they slow down. Why? They don't trust themselves. They don't trust their, their reflexes when it comes to walking. They don't trust their, their stability the way that they used to. I gotta say honest, and I'm not old. I know I'm not old. I can joke, I'm old, everything. I, I know I'm not old. I still find myself walking more deliberately now than I did when I was 21 years old. Why? You're recognizing, man, you just, you don't have it together the way you thought you did. Be not wise in thine own eyes. The humility that's prescribed. Notice number two, the holiness that is produced. What will that do in our lives? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. If a man doesn't depart from evil, he doesn't fear the Lord. If a man fears the Lord, he'll depart from evil. Listen, if we're going to see the will of God done in our life, and if we're going to lean on the Lord, here's what that's going to produce. It's going to produce a holy manner of living. I love what Brother Ken said last week in the revival. He's not the happy spirit that come to make us happy. He's the Holy Spirit that come to make us holy. And if a person's really leaning on the Lord, it will not produce carnality in their life. It's going to produce consecration in their life. Don't expect to do the will of God and walk in iniquity because the will of God is not for you to walk in iniquity. Hey, listen, over and over again in the New Testament, we're told the will of God. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Over and over again, we're told the will of God. And almost every example of it regards personal holiness. In other words, there's some things you ain't got to pray about because the Word of God has already spoken about. In the matter of sin, in the matter of righteousness then simply our humility will drive us to lean upon the precepts of the Word of God and therefore produce a righteousness and a holiness in our lives. So in other words, we see the principles of leaning and the process of leaning, the prerequisites. But finally, look at verse number 8. We have the promises of leaning. Preacher, what will this produce in my life? What will it do for me? Well, verse number 8 says this, It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Now, this is not something that's uh, up for debate or dispute. He says, if you're leaning on the Lord and trusting in him, it will make you healthy and it will give you marrow. Now, there is obviously a little bit of figurative language here. There's some that we have to dig into. You say, preacher, what can I gain out of a life of leaning on the Lord? Well, notice, number one, it'll give you a healthy belly button. That's what it says, isn't it? It shall be health to thy navel. Now, somebody's sitting out there saying, Preacher, my belly button is healthy enough as it is. So what exactly is the Word of God saying here? Well, when it uses the term navel, it has with it the connotation and idea of an umbilical cord. You say, Preacher, what's God saying here? Health to thy navel. The same way that uh, these babies growing inside these mamas are deriving all the nutrition they need because of a connectedness to the mother that provides for them all the nutrition, all of the protection, all of the sustenance that they need. And as long as that umbilical cord is healthy, they'll have everything that they could possibly need. Let's say it this way. We lean on the Lord. You know what it's going to guarantee? It's going to guarantee provision. It's going to guarantee that God will provide our needs. There's never been a baby in a womb that's ever thought, what am I going to eat for supper? It's not up to them. They don't get to decide. Now, they might have an opinion about it after you eat something, Mama. But they don't get a vote in it. They just simply 
absorb and, and consume whatever is delivered to them. But you know, in that, their every need is taken care of. Their every need is met. There's parallel here, here in our relationship to the Lord. You know, very often we don't get a say. I hate to tell you this, but it's time for a grown-up moment. You ready? You ain't always going to get your way. You ain't always going to get your say. Sometimes there's going to be things in life that are not the way you designed them and desired them, but they're from the Lord, and you've got to learn how to trust Him in them. Because in them, He's going to provide for you things that you probably would not have asked for, but He knows better than you do what you need in the first place. The greatest way to know that we're going to have our needs met is to be right smack in the heart and center of God's will. You know why? Because if we're there because of Him, we are His responsibility and he's a faithful God, and he has never let down any of his chores and any of his responsibilities. We'll lean on the Lord. It, it, it guarantees provision. But then he says this, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Now, I'm not a doctor. Well, at least I've not practiced in years. And I'm not, I don't even remember biology. My father-in-law was my teacher in, in school, and he was a terrible teacher. And... uh but Mr. Google came to the rescue, and you know what the marrow does in the bones? It pretty much creates, for the most part, pretty much all the material that the blood is made of. It creates your blood. And thereby, by creating the red and the white blood cells, what it does is provides immunity to your body. It's why when a person uh, gets sick and, and has cancer in their bones and, and their bone marrow goes, the, the first thing that happens is their immunity just gets shot. It's not producing it the way that it's supposed to. And here's what God says. You lean on the Lord and there'll always be plenty of marrow in your bones. There'll always be plenty of blood there. There'll always be plenty of immunity there. And let's say it this way. It guarantees provision. But number two, it guarantees protection. It's interesting, you know, when you think about the immunity of the human body. It doesn't wrap us in bubble wrap and keep us from experiencing things that could harm us. But what it does is gives us the resilience to ward it off and fight it off. It will be interesting to see after this social experiment, after the past two, three years, what it does to the human immune system. You're, you survive. Part of the reason you all are as healthy as you are is you ate dirt as kids. That and that lead paint you grew up with. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it built up a, a, an immunity, an immune system, a resilience, such that you don't have to cloister yourself away and shield yourself from everything that might interact with you. You know why? Because we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has designed your body such that it can fight and ward things off. In other words, not everything that encounters you enters you. Not everything that assaults you affects you. But you're able to have a resiliency that can ward those things off. That when things that are, would harm us are taken in, we can expel them out without them having the effect on us that they otherwise would. And listen, in your life, you say, preacher, uh, you know, what's, what's the best plan for stability? Everybody's thinking about stability right now. Because uh, everything's just crumbling around, uh, down around us. And some people are, are, are trying to seek it in investment. Some people trying to seek it in prepping. Some people trying to seek it all kinds of different things. And, well, if I just have the right this and I, I just have... You know the best thing you can do is be in the heart and center of the will of God. You really want protection? 
be in the heart and center of the will of God. Read the stories of missionaries throughout the ages that, that lived in, in wicked and dangerous and dark places, imperiled every single day, and yet many of them lived and died of old age because God watched over them and provided for them, protected for them. So, preacher, what can I do? I'm, I'm worried. Anxiety, hey, listen, is the, is the latest, greatest fad in our society because there's a lot to be worried about. Preacher, how can I get peace of mind? Get in the heart and center of the will of God. And if you're in the heart and center of the will of God, you have no cause to fear. You have no reason to worry. I'm not saying your flesh can't still make you worry. I'm saying you've got a good reason to tell your flesh to hush. Because God always watch over and protects his own. So uh, are we really leaning on him? I would say this. A great many of us like the idea of leaning on him. A great many of us do occasionally lean upon him. But I wonder in the toughest things in our life, in the most intense elements of our life, in the things that we cherish most and so we feel the most vulnerability over, are we really leaning on the Lord? Do you trust him enough to give him your plans and see what he'll do with them? Do you trust him enough to give him your kids and see what he'll do with them? Do you trust him enough to give him your anger and see what he does with it? I wonder if we're really leaning on the Lord. Maybe we're doing it selectively. I think we ought to trust in the Lord with all our heart. And if there's any area of your life that you're scared to give to God, that's the very area you need to be giving to him. That thing that when I in the preaching just sort of brushed our fingertips across and your heart did a double tap. That's the very thing you need to be on the altar saying, now, Lord, I'm committing this unto you. That thing that has become that sacred calf in your life, that's the thing you need to be putting on that altar and saying, now, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this thing. And I truly want your will above all things. You making big decisions in life? Do you trust God enough to find out his will first? Or are you trying to rush past him out the door? before you have to second guess the plans that you've constructed. Why don't you say, Lord, I'm committing myself to you. I'm trusting you with all my heart. I'm not leaning unto mine own understanding. Let's bow together tonight. The altar's open. I invite you to come. Do honest business with God tonight. God dealt with you. If he spoke to you, there's a reason for it. Meet him in the altar. Would you do that tonight? Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. May he be pleased. And Lord, help us to be obedient. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name.